the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book as we welcome you to another broadcast of the Riches of Grace. This program is the radio voice of Grace School of the Bible and is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. At the heart of our ministry is the desire to help you appreciate and rejoice in the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why we call this program The Riches of Grace. We're happy you've tuned our way today and trust that our time together will prove a real blessing as we continue with a series of studies designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. My name is Alex Kurz, and it's my privilege to invite you to join us as Richard Jordan, President of Grace School of the Bible, brings us another message from the Word of God. Thank you, Alex. I'm certainly glad to be on the air again today, my friends, with the wonderful message of the wonderful grace of God found in the wonderful Word of God. And we're going to look again at uh, the topic of Christ uh, coming for us, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in particular, uh, Paul's instructions and admonitions to us to be looking for that. He says in Philippians chapter number 3, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Titus chapter 2, describing uh, the attitude that we have toward Christ's coming, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, of of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that attitude of, of expectancy, uh, he, he tells the Thessalonians, and, and this is the first uh, group of saints that he, that he wrote to. Um, the church at Thessalonica was founded in Acts chapter number 17. In Acts 18, he writes back to them, and he describes their, their salvation and their Christian life this way. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you... Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. They were saved. They turned to God from idols. They were separated from the idolatrous system around them by turning to God. By the way, that's the way separation is going to come in the life of a believer. Uh, we believe in separation. Uh, if, you, if you're a Bible believer, you have to believe in separation. You have to believe in separation from from ecclesiastical sin as well as fleshly sin. There, there are two kinds of ungodliness in the Bible. There's natural man ungodliness. There's just the ungodliness of the flesh. And then there's an ungodliness associated with the, the satanic policy of evil, a religious system, a thinking process that promotes the uh, the philosophy and program that, uh, that the adversary is the god of this world. It's called the lie program. And uh, one one kind of ungodliness, natural man ungodliness, feeds into and is used by the the uh, uh, un- spiritual ungodliness of the of the lie program. And as believers, we'll, we'll never be perfect. We'll never have a perfect church. But we can struggle to gain a pure church. And, in, and, and, and we're to be separated uh, from, from idols, from the religious system about us, and from the thinking of the world. And we're to be separated from the, the ungodliness of the natural man, put off the old man. 
But you never have that accomplished in your life by focusing on either the lie program or the, the sinful activities in your, in your fleshly life. Uh, rather, you have them by turning to God. There's, there's a great misunderstanding about how to accomplish sanctification, that is, have, having your life and your ministry set apart for the purpose for which God created it. Uh, and it's never by, uh, by just focusing on what's wrong, on the error or the sin. Uh, when you focus on error and sin, you're focusing on the problem. Uh, you don't solve problems by talking about the problem. You solve problems by talking about the solution to the problem. And and I know that there are a lot of folks, you know, that they think, you've give me some rules and regulations. That's where this, these religious do's and don't lists come. And you've got all these lists of rules and regulations. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do this, so that you can be acceptable and pleasing to God, and he'll receive you. God does it the other way. He says, here, I put you in my son. Understand who you are. Come and be, come and turn to me. Come and see who I am. And we sung that wonderful hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you see, it's the way of grace to cause you to become so fascinated and so in, uh, uh, enraptured and so overcome and overwhelmed by what God has done and who God is and who he's made you in Christ. You turn to God from idols. You never get somebody to give up something unless you give them something better to take its place. And God comes along and offers you life in Christ and peace and joy and contentment and, and fullness of joy forevermore in Christ. And when you come and you take that, well, you turn from idols. So they were saved, and then they, 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 they had a, their lives were, were turned to God. They left behind the old life, and they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And that service, that issue of serving God, being the channel through whom his life works and lives, and to wait for his son. So they were saved, they were separated, they were serving, and then they were satisfied. They were content to wait for his son. That's what he means when he says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing, expecting the future to have to do with Jesus Christ coming back and receiving us to himself. Our conversation is in heaven. All of our thinking, all of our life is focused. We set our affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior. Well, that's the hope. That's the, the attitude. That's the mental process that believers are to, to keep in their mind. That's the fixation of our minds as believers, to have our affection set on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. For when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Someone, someone responds to that and says, but wait a minute, Brother Rick, Christ hasn't come yet. So why should I just keep looking up? Why should I keep looking for him if after 2,000 years almost he hasn't come? Why should I keep looking? And in order to promote that idea of not living in a daily expectancy of Christ to come. Now that's what Paul did. Paul says that uh, he, over and over, he's, he, we look for that blessed hope. He's not talking about you do it. He's talking about I'm doing it. This is the way I live. Our conversation is in heaven from whence we look. This is the way Paul lived his life. You say, well, Christ hadn't come for 2,000 years. Should we keep living that way? Or should we be like the apostles in Acts chapter 1? 
And I want you to notice the contrast in the attitude that Paul had looking every moment for Christ to come. And the apostles, the 12 apostles, the, the 11 in Acts 1 become 12 in Acts 2 again, uh, the, the apostles of Christ in his earthly ministry in Acts chapter 1. In Acts 1 verse 9, when, when he had spoken, when Christ had spoken these things, the Bible says, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. They see him visibly, bodily, ascend into heaven. And while they stood steadfast, looked, while they they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two angels, which also said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go." into heaven. Now, there are a couple of things just to notice real carefully about that. Number one, they say this same Jesus, whom you've seen go, shall come in like manner. The coming of Christ that they are expecting is a coming that will be a, a, a reverse duplication of his going. Where did he go from? Well, he, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. So Zechariah chapter 12 says his feet will once again stand on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back there. The first time, the next time, Jesus Christ's feet touch this planet will be the same place that they last touched this planet from. Zechariah 14 is very clear about that. Not only that, but he, he went away bodily, physically, back into heaven with the escort of the angelic host. One day when Jesus Christ comes back to stand on the Mount of Olives, he will come, the Bible says, and Jesus said, in fact, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, with all the holy angels with him to sit upon the throne of his glory, he'll come back with the armies of heaven, the angelic escort of heaven. Now, he's going to come in like manner as you've seen him go. It is going to be a personal, visible, bodily return. The second coming of Christ is not the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. The second coming of Christ is not the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. That is not his coming back and pouring out his wrath as prophesied in the prophets and in the book of the Revelation. There's a, there's a, a real misunderstanding, there's a, a weird idea <laughs> that somehow Jesus Christ came back in 70 A.D., poured out his wrath, and that that's all over now. Uh, well, no, I'm, I'm sorry. He's going to come in like manner. When he does that, he'll come personally, visibly. His presence will be known in the earth. It'll be a like manner coming. That's what the, that's what the apostles were expecting. And notice that as they gazed into heaven watching him go, these angels asked him the question, Why do you stand here gazing into heaven? What are you looking up there for? Then they say, He's going to come back. Well, wait a minute. If he's went into heaven and he's going to come back, why wouldn't you stand there and be looking into heaven to see if he wasn't coming back? In fact, that's what Paul says. We should always be looking. We should have our affection set on things above, always expecting him at any minute to come back. Well, what was wrong with the apostles doing that? Why would the angels rebuke them for that? Well, the reason for that has to do with something that Christ told them in Luke chapter 21, for example. Um, 
they were not to be looking for his immediate return. In fact, he gave them some very specific signs that would tell them when they should be looking for him to come. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Luke 21, 25. And these shall be the signs. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. In other words, there's going to be some disturbances in the planetary systems of the heavens that are going to result in some disturbances and some perplexity, some fear in the earth. And when it says the sea and the waves roaring, well, if you have signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, if the planetary systems begin to to act differently than what the laws of, of physics uh, astrophysics operate on today. Uh, Isaiah talks about the, the, the earth wobbling through the heavens like a drunken man, ruling to and fro. Well, the first thing that's going to be affected is going to be the sea. Tides and, and waves, tidal waves we call them. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Haggai, many passages in, in the prophets, especially the minor prophets, God says, I'm going to shake the heaven and shake the earth. And, and, and Job 38, he says the reason he's going to do it, he's going to shake the wicked out of it. You see, Jesus Christ is going to begin his kingdom in the heavens. And Revelation 12 talks about this war in heaven. And he's going to cast Satan out. The angels, Michael and their armies of heaven, are going to go all through the heavenly places, all through the governmental structures of the heavens, and take Satan and all those who are allied with him and defeat them, take them out of their positions of, of authority there, and cast them down to the earth. Gather them all in one place on the planet earth so there can be one final battle. And he's going to go through there and... and Job 38 says he's got all this stuff prepared to do, and he'll shake it. He's going to shake the wicked out of it. But when that judgment begins in the heavens and it thunders through the heavens, men on the earth are going to notice it, and they're going to be frightened by it, and they're going to be terrified by it, and they're going to be, uh, they're, there's going to be fear and perplexity, and men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things that are coming. We're not talking about some earthquake in California or in China. <laughs> We're not talking about all this stuff people like to point to today. We're talking about tremendous physical disturbances in outer space, as we would call it. Then, verse 26, 7 says, then... When those specific things begin to take place, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. This same Jesus shall in like manner come as you've seen him go. Now, Luke 21, 28. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Notice that he's very specific in what he says. When these specific disturbances begin to take place, then they're to look up because the redemption draws nigh. Christ's coming is, is upon them. 
until they were to see those specific things happening, they weren't they did they knew Christ wasn't coming back. It's just like you go down the road and you see a road sign and and it tells you that uh, uh, there, there's, there's a rest stop at mile marker number 32. Well, if you're at mile marker number 28, you know that you're not quite there yet. You've got four more miles to go. And when you get to mile marker 31, you know you're not there yet. It's coming. It's closer. But when you get to mile marker 32, then you say, hey, I've got to get off. It's going to be here. These are, are signs. These are mile markers in the program of God. Well, you come over to Acts chapter number 2. In Acts chapter 2, St- uh, Peter carries on the same kind of a, of a program. Acts 2 verse uh, 16. As Peter seeks to explain the phenomena that's going on in Acts 2, the filling of the Holy Spirit and the, the apostles speaking in, 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 in the tongues of, uh, of those that are, that are there to hear, uh, the, 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 the tongues of the nations there that are, that, that, that are of the different uh, uh, dialects and, and languages of people gathered at Jerusalem for the feast. Acts 2.16, he says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it should come to pass in the last days. You see, they're, on the, they're, they're still on that prophetic time schedule laid out in the book of Daniel. I, saith God, I will pull out of my spirit upon all flesh. And that's what's happened on the day of Pentecost. But he isn't just going to pour out his spirit. Verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great notable day of the Lord. That's the stuff in Luke 21. So first he's going to pour out his spirit, and then he's going to pour out his wrath in the day of wrath. And Peter is saying to them, Look, he's poured out his spirit. The spirit has been poured out. We've passed that mile marker. Now, the next thing for him to do is pour out his wrath. Now, that's instructive because when you, when you, go, to, when you, when you go down to the conclusion of his message, in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, uh, 34, Peter says, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, God the Father says to God the Son, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Where was Jesus Christ in Acts 2? Well, he had had gone back into heaven. God the Father had said, Come and sit up here at my right hand until the time for you to go back and pour out your wrath on your enemies and make them your footstool. So he's sitting, Peter says, at the Father's right hand, awaiting the time for him to come pour out his wrath. That's the next great mile marker for them. Well, that's important because when you come to Acts chapter 7, you see Stephen standing up before the Senate of Israel. And he says to him in Acts 7 verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have now uh, been, been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, listen now, standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man, listen, standing on the right hand of God. Where did Peter say he was in Acts 2? Well, he said he was sitting at the Father's right hand. What does Acts 7 say? 
Stephen sees him standing. Now, why did he move from the sitting position to the standing position? Well, Acts 2, verse 34 and 35, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, tell you that he was going to sit there at the Father's right hand in the third heaven until the time for him to come and make his enemies his footstool, pour out his wrath against his enemies. You know what had happened in Acts 7? The time on the program of God's prophetic calendar had come for Jesus Christ to come and to speak in his wrath and to vex his enemies in their sore displeasure. The moment had come in the prophetic calendar for the beginning of the day of wrath. The next step, Peter said, the Spirit's poured out, the next step is the day of wrath. Stephen says, the day of wrath is ready to come. He's standing ready to come and pour out his wrath. Now, that's almost 2,000 years ago. It hasn't come yet, has it? Why? Not because Peter and Stephen were wrong. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. It hasn't come because God interrupted the program. Did you ever notice that in Acts 9, Christ did come back? And he came back and confronted his chief opponent, the leader of the world's rebellion against him, Saul of Tarsus. And rather than pouring his wrath out on him, what did he do with Saul? He saved him. In fact, Paul says about it, he said, He saved me by his grace. (laughs) He intervened and, and saved me by his grace. I was a blasphemer, and he saved me by his grace. And he did it. 1 Timothy 1.16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. 1 Timothy 1.16 is a verse you need to think about. Why did Jesus Christ save Saul of Tarsus? Because he had interrupted the prophetic program just at the point when the next step in prophecy was the wrath of God to be poured out. He interrupted the prophetic program and rather than taking the next step of prophecy, he interrupted that program and, in, and, and introduced a parenthetical, a parenthesis program with the salvation of Saul, made Paul the first person in that new program. But in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering, not wrath, but long-suffering, for a pattern to them which should have to believe on him to everlasting life. He introduced a new program, not the prophetic program, not that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began, but the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, is made manifest. That's why he says how the, Paul says how that by revelation Christ made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known, but now is revealed. You see, just at the moment when the next step in the prophetic program was to pour out his wrath. God interrupted his wrath and poured out his grace, introduced a new program. That's why Paul says it today. This is the day of salvation. It's not going to last forever, though. But it is here today. And if you want to know what God's doing today, you're going to find it in that ministry that God gives to us in his word through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, Romans through Philemon. That's why Paul is in the Bible, to be a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, the life everlasting. He has some form of sound words, he says, that he's committed to us. And in his epistles, Romans through Philemon, he has found the doctrine and the duty and the destiny of the church, the body of Christ, and what God is doing today. You need to take advantage of it. It won't last forever, but it's what he's doing today. And you can take advantage of it today for God's glory. Let me offer you a free Bible study tape that will help you with this and go on with it. We're almost out of time. 
The tape is entitled, The Meeting in the Air, The Details of, of the Exodus of the Church of the Body of Christ and the Conclusion of the Dispensation of Grace, the event that will signal the end of the parenthesis and the returning to the prophetic calendar. You need to understand that and understand what our hope is and what it is we're really looking for. The meeting in the air. It'll be a real blessing to you to understand these stabilizing doctrines that are designed to, to fortify your hope as a child of God in tempestuous times. Let me give you this free Bible study tape, The Meeting in the Air. To receive your free copy, simply call me here at our toll-free number, 888-535-2300. That's 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me here at the, at, at the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's the Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. My friend, we also want you to know about Grace School of the Bible because we have a we have a rather uniquely designed three-year Bible Institute program available on an extension basis. Our school is is unique in in several ways. First, we we follow the Pauline design for the edification of the believer in our curriculum. Rather rather than patterning our curriculum after the standard systematic theologies that are uh, used by most Bible institutes and Bible schools and seminaries, we, we followed a clearly designed outline and pattern for edification that's found in Paul's epistles. And what that does is it allows students to grow to maturity uh, the Pauline way and, and to quickly be prepared for the ministry that the Lord has for them. Another, another uniqueness of, of Grace School of the Bible is that it's offered on an extension basis through the use of a video. In other words, we, we send the school to you rather than requiring you to come to us. And what that does is allows you to enjoy the regular sound Bible teaching and edification in the comfort and convenience of your own home and to fit it into your own scheduling demands and the, and the ministry that perhaps you already have where you are. If you are or you have ever desired to be, a serious student of God's Word, why not call us today for a free catalog? That number again is 888-535-2300. And let me also say thanks to those who are helping us to keep this program on this station. This is uh, genuinely listener-supported radio, and I hope you're encouraged to know that there are folks in your area who love the Word of God rightly divided, and who rejoice in the message of grace and the joy of the grace life. My friend, if you don't have a fellowship to attend this week where the message of grace is taught from the rightly divided Word and the grace life is clearly proclaimed, call me, and we'll put you in touch with a group in your area where you can find that fellowship and encouragement. Our number again is 888-535-2300. Or, of course, you can write me at any time at The Riches of Grace, Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. And, friend, if you're still not sure of salvation, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have eternal life as a present possession, be sure to let us know, and we'll be happy to send you some gospel literature that will make the way plain. That number, again, is 888-535-2300. Thanks for joining us today, and until we meet again this same time and place next week, Maranatha. I want to leave.
General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.